Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And uh, as we do it, assume we read the first verse of Shemot. Uh, we did not do the Rashi on it yet. We did not have time for last week were some of the Devrei Torah that some people had prepared on the book of Breshit, uh, which was supposed to be part of our seum, but we ran out of time. So what I want to do today is first welcome the new faces around the table. Then, if anybody has um, Devrei Torah that were left over from last week's seum that you didn't have a chance to do, and then we'll... You snooze, you lose, Sue. Um, and then we'll jump into Shmote. For the new students who are about to introduce yourselves, um, um, to talk to me after class or email me about how to get the right volume in front of you because um, there are several different volumes you can have in front of you, but you're going to want to have at least one way of looking at Rashi, either in Hebrew or in English or both. Um, we need to bring a chair over for soon. Okay, so uh, let's go around. If you're new to the class, tell us who you are and what brings you here. Starting this way, Wittershims. Yeah. Am I, am I first? You're the first. You're the first newbie. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Steve, and uh, I heard about this, uh, I think, at, uh, at a bat mitzvah that I attended. <laughs> and uh, when you spoke about it, uh, and I just thought, you know, why not? I'm not doing anything Wednesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattered. Neither, neither are all these people. <laughs> just fit. Something that, you know, that, 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 that I've never really made time to study the Torah, but, you know, never too late to start. Great. Welcome, Steve. Hi, I'm Nancy Solomon. Uh, I invite Steve's family over for Shabbat on Friday, and then afterwards I get texts that says, come meet me Wednesday morning. <laughs> so, I want to do this every time. It. On Saturday, I'm like, oh, I should study with the rabbi, and I've never done it, so thank you. Welcome, Nancy. New fit. I'm Norm Green. I learned long ago that once you start learning Torah with Shmos, it's not here. <laughs> 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 Waited 20 years for this kid. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm Yana Chazma. I just happened to be here. My husband said, why don't you stay? <laughs> <laughs> Two confessions. What's that thing that, like, bowling is that thing you do when you have nothing better to do? (laughs) Bowling and Rashi. I'm feeling my patience, but I'm putting it off for you. Elon. Elon Spar, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, but I didn't want to jump in the middle of this. Amen. Time for the next 20 years. And Barry, is everything okay? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Surgery on my nose. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, who's got a vort from the letter from last week? I know Larry does. Larry. Besides the statistical and most likely also on the rest of the Tanakh and on the Talmud, were based on the shirim he gave at his yeshiva. I've questioned in class whether in fact it was Rashi who actually wrote his commentary, or whether they represent edited notes of his and his students. 
there seems to be evidence that some of his students, Shemaya and Yosef, edited and actually made additions. For me, it's inconceivable that Rashi actually wrote out his commentaries in full as we read them today. Had he done so, I believe that the narrative would have been less cryptic, more fully explained, more systematic and integrative, and frankly, easier to follow. But that's just my opinion. More importantly, we use Rashi as a jumping off point to bring the Torah and Torah, without the article, to life. What happens in this wonderful class is something similar to what happened, happened in Rashi's Shirim and in Betay Midrash throughout time and place. We learn and create Torah at the same time, under the guidance of our own master, Rabbi Klickfeld, who brings us his particular insights, but also encourages us to develop and share our own, not only to understand the meaning of the text in a singular way, but rather to see many of the possible, not to understand the, the meaning of the text in a singular way, but rather to see many of the possible ways to appreciate the text. Perhaps one day, Rabbi Clickfield will write his own commentary, <laughs> including some of our contributions. <laughs> or perhaps we one or several of you will transcribe your notes and attribute them to Rak, R-A-K. Regardless, it's not really the Rashi text that we study, but the Rashi system that we try to emulate. That's my takeaway. Beautiful. Uh, joking aside, do you want to give a Rashi on what you mean by the distinction between the Torah and Torah? I think I know what you mean, but I'm not sure it's self-evident. The Torah is the text that we're studying, the, the Humash, the five books of Moses, which is the basis of this class. But Torah is the teaching, the learning, the wisdom that's rooted in our in our tradition, in our texts, and in the commentaries, and in our tradition. Yeah. And and used colloquially that way in in places where Jews study the tradition. That sharing one's Torah does not mean sharing Leviticus necessarily, but the but your your sense of the wisdom that emanates from the tradition, including that which is directly sourced in the Torah. Beautiful. Does anybody else have? Yes, Barry. So uh, I'll begin by. Uh, there's not enough of these, but. Um, Maybe you can share these. Um, my, I ran out of paper on my machine, and uh, what what my I want to begin with is um, actually these are more of part of this thing. So you have one thing. It begins with um, with the word Vayela, and our. And here is their complaining, their grumbling. 
okay? And, but uh, in our uh, uh, with, um, with Rashi, um, it is, I don't know what he's here. Um, um, yeah, uh, in, it, it's in Vayetze, Vayetze 28, um, 28, uh, uh, 2011, um, and the, 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 the shot is, uh, Vayetze uh, uh, okay, and the root here of Vayetze is similar to the root is Vayetze. Uh, Okay, but in ours, he reached, he arrived at Makom. He came to Makom, he arrived at Makom. But wh- why are they using this Vayelan for a rest? To well, not arrive, to, to sleep. Sleep, okay. Yeah. Well, some say he, he reached, some say he slept. The reach is Vayifka, the Vayalain is he, he, spent. he spent. He spent the night. He spent the night, or he slept, or he, he stayed, he yeah. stayed out there. But it's the same root as you know, in Shalak, as they rumbled. And so Rashi's, um, and, and I'm going to do this Rashi, and I'm going to from Zohar on the same thing here. So um, what, what Rashi's saying is that the, the, because the sun had set, well, it, it had set out of its order. Uh, he, he uh, Yaakov, had arrived in the afternoon. He had, he, according to Yaakov, he had 15 more hours of, of daylight to go. But um, uh, the, where was the Macomb? Macomb is, is in Mount Moriah, where uh, uh, the, the temple is going to be, and this is where the ladder is supposed to be. And uh, so uh, um, uh, God arranged that the sun set earlier than it would normally do. Uh, the, uh, the sun said it, it should have, it should have set, and the sun set. He spent the night because the sun has set, implies the sun set suddenly for him, not at its appointed time, so that he'd stay there. He should stay there overnight. So um, uh, what uh, happens is um, um, it, 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 to the, day, the day was still long. He wanted to keep moving, but he wasn't able to move. And, and so uh, he began, this is uh, in, uh, from Zohar, uh, that uh, he began complaining before uh, his master that the dominion of the sun had been transferred from him, this is written, and he complained there, that's Vayelan, uh, Vayelan, he complained there. Um, and, and this this is the, uh, is back, back to back with from Bashalak that people grumbled against Boshev. So uh, basically that is similar how words are used. That uh, here, here it, it, we could be just simply, like he arrived at the place and he went to sleep. Hmm. But there was more involved than just arriving at the place here. He didn't want to stay there. And he was grumbling, why, why stay here? Because well, God had made it that he, this is where he's going to have this dream, this latter dream. And Yaakov uh, uh, was a struggler with always, right? Yaakov, the heel, and so here, here he, he, he uh, so many times, God, God gave uh, to Yaakov what's going to happen to him, and Yaakov said, "Well, if, if you do things for me, then I will, I will do these things. If you do, it's always you know uh, th- this approach." Well, here at Yaakov, again, he, that's okay. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> Thank you, Barry, and for and, and for link and for uh, coming up coming across a, a, a verb that you just happen to lean, and then remembering or connecting it back to a single use of that verb way back in our learning is a is a wonderful bridge 
Um, there it is. Yeah, Great. Was, Thank you. I was, I was leaving this. <laughs> right. Well. <laughs> and by the way, that's exactly what Rashi did. It's just that Rashi knew all of the material in a way that we can't even fathom, but he would be reading a verse in Chronicles or Habakkuk and say, hey, that reminds me of the 19th chapter of Levit- Leviticus. I wonder if there's a connection. That's exactly, that, that's the process. That's that, that generative and iterative process that you were I'm discussing. I'm confused with Rashi. Amen. <laughs> Marshall. <laughs> So I'd like to look at chapter 45, uh, verse number, uh, verse Dalit 4. Your Torah Chayim is on page Reish Aleph. Most people only probably brought their schmotes with them, so we're just going to listen to it. 45, what? read it to you. And this moment when Jacob... What verse is Marshall? Marshall verse? Four. Verse 4. So Joseph says to his brothers, Gishuna Eli Vayigashu. Come close to me. I'm using Robert Alter's translation, pray. And they claim came close. Vayomer, Ani Yosef Achichem. He said, I am Joseph, your brother. Ashimachartem Otivitzraimah whom you sold into Egypt. Now, we do something very fanciful uh, and something which is not in our uh, Silverman translation. Fanciful in the sense that rabbis were being fanciful in their Rashi comment. Uh, and the Silverman translation leaves out translation of three words, which I think are significant. So you see now, Geshuna Eli, Ra Otanda Sogim Le'achor. He saw that here his brothers recoiled. And he said to himself, Now my brothers feel ashamed. He therefore called to them, and this is the part which is not translated in the Silverman. And then he said, and he showed him he was circumcised. Yeah. What is, for me, the interesting phrase here, Bilashon in a language which was tender or soft, mm-hmm. which was full of a cry for help or a plea or entreaty. Uh, it seems to me that true reconciliation only takes place when we expose ourselves and our, all of our psychic vulnerability. He showed himself to his brothers, and they showed himself to him. Hmm. He said, come close to me, not only physically, but psychologically. But he got you when they drew close. Yeah. And the rabbis, when they said here, he said he was circumcised. I can't make much sense out of that. But what Rabbi Klikba loves to do is to play around with Shorashim, with roots, here reminds me of another word which letter looks like the hey but it's not a hey it's a chet mm. which means pardoned mm. so maybe he says you know I feel pardoned now for anything I may have done to you and you should feel pardoned also for anything you may have done to me right and it's all happening within Parshat Vayigash which is named for just the verb that appears in the first verse when Yehuda 
draws close to Yosef, but there, there, there's a lot of required mutual drawing close in order for that or any reconciliation to happen. Beautiful. Thanks. Yes, Joel. Uh, um, I started coming in October of 2016, and by then, Joseph was already being appointed second in command. For three and a half years, I got half the Joseph story. <laughs> 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 Are you complaining, Joe? From the beginning of the Joseph story, that I thought was fascinating, when uh, his brothers are tending the flock, and um, and Yaakov sends him sends Joseph out to see his brothers. It says, "The um, Emek Hebron, from the Valley of Hebron." And so Rashi says, "Wait a second, Hebron is not a valley. Mm-hmm. Hebron is on a mountain. So what does this mean? I don't know if you guys talked about this, mm-hmm. but uh, so he says it must mean." that he, he sent him from the deep council um, um, from, the, from the righteous man who was buried in Hebron. Well, that's Abraham. So what deep council was he getting from Abraham? Well, I'm thinking, what is Abraham a world expert on? Sacrificing his son, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so... He must have known that he was sacrificing Joseph when he sent this out. So the implication is he knew that he was setting all this into um, into motion when he did this, and so that put a whole new take on the entire story. In my so that's a fascinating Rashi on the Rashi, right? Because I don't I don't think that in the Rashi it's explicit that that the counsel he got from Avraham was related to. Um, the Akedah but you're saying that if we're already reading Emek Hebron as but, uh, the it depth just says, it just says the Kayem Mashin Amar Abraham Ben Abtarim Ben Abtarim right so that's so that's this notion of the, of the promise of what's going to happen in the future not related to the binding of Isaac Right, so you're adding a lovely Rashi yeah. on the Rashi, exactly. right? That if we're already reading Emet Hebron there, not as the Valley of Hebron that doesn't exist, but the <coughs> valley depths of the Hebronite, the eternal Hebronite Abraham, then it's almost as if you're saying Yaakov is, with prescience, he might not even be aware of uh, exposing his son to this uh, danger. <coughs> Any others? Rebecca, then Leonard, then Rick, just because that's the order in which I saw your hands. Um, I've been coming to this class. I started up sometime within the last year. Larry will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Larry's tracking all of you. (laughs) So I chose uh, something uh, more recent, chapter 50, verse 13, where where, uh, Rashi describes about the the tribes. This is as they're going to array and very... um, carry Yaakov to uh, the cave of Machpelah, of the field of Machpelah for the burial. Um, at the same <coughs> last week, I brought mini cupcakes, and I decorated them each mm. with banners of mm-hmm. the 12 tribes. And you may have noticed that included in the banners were Levi and um, Yosef. And so, as a matter of fact, when I took the cupcakes upstairs, um, Rabbi Chorney chose the Yosef because she recognized that this was a collectible item. <laughs> because Levi and Yosef aren't necessarily part of the array of the 12 banners uh, as we uh, learn about um, who the 12 tribes were. So, 
In uh, verse 13, Rashi describes that, okay, Levi will not carry a banner. He's destined to bear the holy ark. And Yosef will not carry since he is king. So Ephraim and Manasseh will be in their stead. So instead it's Ephraim and Manasseh. But I chose to include Levi and Yosef in my banners for two reasons. Partly because I wanted to honor them as sons, and we had read so much, especially in recent weeks, about the, uh, the sons. But also, as I looked online, it's hard to find little uh, pictures of uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Everybody shows Levi and Yosef as mm. part of the banners and the huh. of the 12 tribes. Mm. So it's kind of... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, that's my Thank you, Rebecca. Leonard. Some of a lot most of Rashi's comments are very helpful in understanding the you know, the simple text or whatever, but sometimes the his comments or the midrash that he quotes is rather fanciful. And uh, so the one that stuck with me uh, is actually from uh, from the alternate class. Uh, it's in uh, in Leichlika fourteen fourteen. Just explain that phrase for those who don't know what that means. The alternate class. The bizarro Rashi. Once upon a time, <laughs> Rabbi's class starts Wednesday mornings at eight thirty, and if for some reason he can't make the class, he would send out a notice to people to let them know not to show up. <laughs> but your son was born very early on a Wednesday morning. Is that the origin of this? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. <clears throat> and so the class showed up, and there was no rabbi. He had some excuse. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and. So we were all here, and then it was Arthur who said, well, we Arthur. don't need the rabbi. Wow. We, could, we need to study. We're here. We should study anyway. Wow. And so I took him up on that uh, suggestion over there. So when the rabbi is not available for the class, and I am, and I am, then there's an alternate class. Now, you started with the... Um, with the Akedat Yitzchak. Here. 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 Right. But you did the first nine years elsewhere, right. which means we, we missed the first few chapters of Bereshit. And so what, what we do in the alternate class is we are filling in the, the, uh, the backstory. And so we've made it all the way up to Noah, Noah uh, <laughs> now. So the flood's about to happen, I understand. If you go really slow, we might lap you. We might <laughs> finish all the books of Moses and get back to the part of Reishi that you're still doing. Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that I, I'm usually at your class, but you have never once come to mind. <laughs> okay, so just to fill you in on the story over here, this is the, you know, Lot is living in uh, a stone in Sodom. Uh, there's this war between the four kings and the five kings, and the four kings attack the five kings, which includes the king of stone, and they conquer, and they capture Lot, and they carry him away. And Abraham uh, is informed about this and gets very upset. And I take this to verse 14, 14. Of what chapter? 14, 14. 14. <laughs> okay, and uh, I'll just read it to you in, uh, in English over here. So the, the verse says... It's in Lechlecha. The, the verse says, And when Abram heard that his kinsman was taken captive of his lot, he armed his disciples who had been born in his house. 
318. And he pursued them as far as dawn. And if you want to know the rest of the story, is he, he managed to defeat the kings and, and, and free Lot and get all his property back and, and so on. But the com- Rashi's comment on uh, verse 14, I'll just quote three words of it over here, where, where he talks about the uh, 318. He says, Eliezer levado hayah. In other words, the 318 wasn't 318 men. It was actually just Eliezer. And how does he get that? Well, thanks to Gematria. <laughs> I just happened to have a... Uh, Jeez, there you go. And if you take the Gematria, the, add up the letters for Eliezer, you get 318. So it's obvious that this is Abraham and Eliezer who were able to go out and defeat the four kings. Wearing, wearing a kippah, right, Matt? <laughs> Arthur, would have, Arthur would have loved to not love that Rashi <laughs> It's worth a sentence about Arthur because we haven't mentioned him in a while. He was uh, a, a wonderful longtime member of the community who grew up uh, as a yeshiva bacher in Hungary, I believe, and, and studied Rashi almost as mother's milk, and then came to the States, became an engineer. He was he has patents all over the place, and then really had a, what, like a 60-year break from ever studying Rashi. He just didn't live that life anymore and started coming to the class and he said it was like it was like music to his ears he, he remembered being in mm-hmm. in yeshiva in hungary studying these words but he hadn't looked at them in 60 years and he passed away about let's say six or seven years ago and we, we had the last few weeks of his life we had class around his bedside in his home uh so he could you know have that be the, the well, some of the last things he experienced on earth but but he did not suffer the fanciful rashi if it got too far out there he was right. not, not having any of it a few more because we definitely need to study some schmo today just one question yeah how old is lev lev just turned eight eight so that's been going on for eight years now yeah, yeah. What rick. time flies when you're studying rashi rick um I just wanted to uh, uh, thank you for letting me um, into the Torah trope, and, and uh, part of the class is what's the music, with the words, and sometimes it's really um, something notable. So the, the one trope that's so special in, in Genesis so far is the Shalshelet on uh, mm-hmm. Vayimaim. It's in Vayesha. It's 39, uh, verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, and it's when Joseph refuses Potiphar's wife's advances, and I knew it a long time ago, because it's one of those highlights that four readers know about, and and what I was told was that um, it goes up and down three times, so first he refuses easily, no, wait, wait, first he's tempted to go with her, and then he sees his father's image or he thinks about his father, and then he, he refuses again. So um, I knew that ahead of time, but what I didn't know was that uh, Joseph looks so much like Jacob, his father, and I learned that from Rabbi Klickfeld in the class. And just one thing is that there's so many layers to learning all these things that um, it just every week is, is something new, and and uh, it's a great thing. And... and um, since then, when I look in the mirror, sometimes I see my father looking mm. back at me, which isn't which isn't yes. a good thing at all. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's everybody deals with their own parents, and uh, that's just a side thing. But um, I just like being able to do the trope, and um, 
it, it, it builds on itself. So. Great. And what's interesting, just, just checking uh, on that, it's a great verse, Vayimayin, you know, how it came to be that he or, frankly, anyone in a position like that could resist those temptations. And so the Trump identifies it as a significant moment. And Rashi is quiet in the verse. Rashi says nothing on that verse. It's such a mm-hmm. it's such a packed verse. And Rashi just says, you know, move on. Nothing we'll to see here. <laughs> <laughs> Last one or two, Carol. Um, this is just I have my, my page of, of little notes. Uh, often there are comments that you say. I guess we'll put it in Larry's version of, of rap commentary. But this meant a lot to me. You mentioned uh, thinking of Rashi's historical reality being in the Crusades, mm-hmm. and that some of these Midrashim ideas that you, you said, I thought, that he writes to encourage people to have faith in the most egregious of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Carol. Okay. That was wonderful, wonderful. Yes, uh, thank you, everyone who shared and prepared. Um, that's, that, that's, that's an even better coda to the Book of Breshit than, uh, than last week. Okay. Shmot Aleph Aleph. So uh, around the table, if you do the class, there are, there are at least six or seven different volumes. The, the red chumash that we have in the synagogue does not have Rashi's commentary, but it gives you the Hebrew-English of the Torah, and we spend a lot of time on the Torah itself. And then most, well, at least half of the people are studying out of this volume, which is all Hebrew, but it has Rashi plus about six or seven other commentaries on there. And even if you don't have facility with Hebrew, we, we look at the Hebrew and unpack the Hebrew, and it's worth having a, com- a version of Rashi that at least has the Hebrew, if it also has the English. And I can tell you how to order this online. There are also Hebrew-English Rashis, uh, Art School produces one, uh, Matsuda produces one, um, and you can you can shop online. But if you're going to come to class, which is wonderful, by next week you should have, or whenever you come, you should have at least some version of Rashi's commentary in the book of Exodus, either all in Hebrew or Hebrew-English. It doesn't really matter which one. If you want, I'd say, I don't know, every... Every, cl- every second or third class, we also look at another commentary on this page, either because the person is disagreeing with Rashi or taking a different angle on Rashi. And the only way to see that is if you have this one, but you can also just listen to those parts. You don't have to own that volume. Yes, Matt? Just a note, all of this is available on, online in the Safari. Safari. Right. Yes. So, Saf- but Safari doesn't have the English Rashi, I don't think? I stand corrected. So, on your app, this is no, nothing in the history of, yeah. of, of of Torah study, including the publication of the Talmud itself, yeah. <laughs> will have, end up having a more am, amazing impact on the ability for our tradition to continue to deepen itself than the Safari app. It's unbelievable. It's a free app that has everything, that has the entire canon in it at, your, at a touch of a, a finger, including in many places the translation in English. So you get, you can also do it out of an app, although books are nice. Books are nice. So you can do it at the app. It's Safari, S-E-F-A-R-I-A, mm-hmm. um, and it's free, which is unbelievable. Okay. Um, but you should contribute. But you should contribute. Thank you, like Wikipedia. Okay. Um, and Betha. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> which isn't, isn't free, and you also should continue. Okay. Shmot Aleph Aleph. Let's read the verse again so we can get into the Rashi. Uh, Joel, the Eila Shmot B'nai Israel. I just did half the verse for you. Go ahead. Translate as best you can. These are the names of the children of Israel that are coming or came to Egypt. Um, with Yaakov 
man and his household came. Good, right? Um, the book of Shemot and the Parsha of Shemot, those titles are not topical. They're just the first word in the first verse that is anything at all interesting. So the reason why it's called Shemot in Hebrew names is because the part, not because the book of Exodus is about names, but because the Parsha begins with this phrase that these are the names, Shemot, um, just a tiny bit of Hebrew grammar, right? It's Shemot with a Shva under the Shin, not Shemot. Shemot are names. Shemot suggests that it's in Smichut. It's in, it's in the names of. So Shemot B'nei, so the names of the children of Israel. And Joel correctly vacillated on how to translate Habayim because the sense seems to be past tense. They came, but the verb is present tense. Who are coming to Egypt, right? Just like Baruch HaTashem Noten Torah, as you have an Aliyah. Blessed you, God, who is giving the Torah, right? We, we, correct. It's translated off in the past tense because that's the implication. But it's interesting that the verb is a present tense verb, right? So sometimes that, in and of itself, is an opportunity for midrash. And here, sorry, yes. It also ends in Babu in the past tense. Right. So correct. A greater, a greater impetus that is meant to be. In the past. Right. Right. Correct. Can you all? Just repeat the translation, the beginning of the translation. These are the names of the okay. children. You have something on that? <laughs> I do. I have, the, the I'm the vav. I mean, right. it's, it's really, oh, oh, for me, it's weird, but yeah. it's not weird, because very often in conversation, people start a sentence with and, even though it's not and of anything. Right. But this is a new book. Yeah. But it's You can argue that we're connected, one. but this is a brand new book. So right. you would say, Ela Shmot B'nei Yisrael. Great. Why do we say ve'ela? Great. I've never, I, I, I've never ever thought about that. My father would have edited that vav out. He would <laughs> never permit me to start a sentence with and. So there are many vavs. Um, because we have some new students, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things that some of the regular students already know because I want to... I wanna, I want to build a sense of common knowledge of what we're discussing. There are many vavs in the Torah. It's one letter. There's vav ha-hipuch, which changes the look of a verb or the meaning of a verb from what it looks like a past tense into future and vice versa. There's vav ha-chibor, the vav which, which, which connects ideas or sentences from the previous one. So in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, you can begin a sentence. In fact, you begin many sentences with vav, many parshas. Vayetze. Vayishlach, Vayera, Vayera, Vayigash, Vayechi, right? There are a lot of parashot to begin with vavs. Um, here, the name of the parsha isn't Ve'ela, but it could have been. It's, it's Shmot. Um, but yes, it's, a, it's a, not only a, a, a parsha, but a book that begins with an and, contend, perhaps suggesting continuing the story from where we left off. Diane, Sue? So imagine a storyteller actually telling the story. This is... this. The and and the present tense story. And these are the names of the children of Israel who are coming to Egypt. Great. So like as, as imagining an oral tradition, it makes right. sense. Yeah. Great. By the way, um, Uncleus, um, Uncleus is a, the oldest extant translation of the Torah in full into another language. Right, so the Septuagint is older, but I don't think it's as complete. And it's translated by a convert to Judaism uh, into Aramaic. And we always say that it doesn't necessarily mean that Uncleus was correct, but it gives us a sense of how the Torah was understood on the street back then. He translates both verbs as past tense. V'ilein, v'ela, shmahat b'nei Israel, the names of the children of Israel, de'alu, that 
By the way, he doesn't only keep it in, put in past tense. He changes the verb that that came up um, from Egypt. To Egypt. To, to, sorry, to Egypt. Um, although in Aramaic, ayin lamid can also mean to enter. Right, that entered Egypt doesn't necessarily only mean to to go up with ja- Jacob. Translating that et in Hebrew into the im, making clear it's a with and not a direct object. Gvar ve'enash, a person and his household, beite alu. So in both cases, Uncleus translates the verbs into past tense because it's clear that that's what the impact of the word is supposed to be. We talked a lot about how, like, there's the word and then there's the, the, what the word is supposed to make you think. What the word is supposed to make you think here is that this happened. Sue, you're going to say something? No. Okay. <laughs> Rosemary and then Norm. My translation is now these, these are the names. Now. So when you're so th- telling a story, you can say now it's like that. Right. Now is, how yeah. it is, is, is a rendering of the and. Correct. Yeah. Norm? I think in some way we can look at the first phrase as introducing the book and the second phrase as beginning the substance so that it says... These are the names of the children who are coming to Egypt. And that's the introduction. And then it says, each one came with his household. household. Yeah. And then we're going to have the actual names in the next sentence, I think. Yeah. Let's jump into the Rashi, because I want to make sure we've done at least one Rashi today. Yes, uh, what's your name again? (laughs) Alan? Anything except late for dinner. Okay. The emphasis on the word alu in terms of going up, mm-hmm. you know, for me, why, why that, why does Agnes use that word? Right. So I half misspoke and then tried to half correct myself. In Aramaic, the root can mean to go up like in Hebrew. It also can mean just to enter. Like, it, it can mean to enter that has nothing to do with going up. It's just, it's just a root that means to enter. So it could be here that he, that his alu is not like an ironic don't we all don't we know they're going south isn't aliyah to Israel it's just the Aramaic for coming entering is alu it, it's probably just that so I I, I I probably should have not first translated it as ascend okay so Rashi focuses on something on the verse that we haven't focused on yet which makes it even more interesting Joel so um, not everyone around the table has a Rashi so if you're if you don't have a Rashi in front of you um, look 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 at someone who does because it's important just to actually see the words even though um, they well, they were mentioned or you he mentioned them what's the root of shimnaan mem nun hey means to count like minion Right, so even though he or it, meaning it could be the subject of the verb, is the Torah or God, counted on them. <coughs> even though the text, God had counted them, which them? The, the brothers. Yeah, yeah, right. When? In their lifetime. Bishmotam. By their names. Right. In other words, even though we already know this information, in fact, some of you have the footnote. Uh, in our in our books that tells you back goes back to the exact verse in uh, chapter forty uh, chapter forty six where all of the names of the people who are coming to Egypt are named right so even though the Torah or God counted them in their lives in their you know in, in real time by name go ahead. 
Netatam. He it uh, repeats them their names during at their death. Achar. After. After. I don't have Achar. Yeah. Really? Hazar Achar Interesting. Hazar. Interesting. Yeah, I don't either. Wow. Great. Fascinating, right? Uh, what, 99.99% of the words in all of the versions of Rashi's commentary around the globe are the same? And every once in a while you have a tiny, tiny word that either means nothing or something that got changed in, in a manuscript, right? Let, let's just linger for the 173rd time how amazing it is this guy sat down in an office in Troy in the 12th century and wrote this down, and we have it. Yeah. Because it, cause, like, they didn't know then that he was going to be Rashi. And somehow someone thought... Like, I sometimes um, shudder thinking about, like, were there other Rashis that never became Rashi yeah. but could have been better Rashis, but th- the house burned down, or they got... Or they, or they were, they, you know, they were, the they were killed in the Crusades, yeah. and the manuscript was lost. Right? It, it's, it's amazing that any emerged. Yeah. Okay, so bim at their death or after the death. It's interesting. Bim might make a tiny bit more sense because we're about to learn that all of these people died, mm. but we, the reader, haven't learned it yet. We're going to learn it in verse six or something, right? So it might be that the bit mitatan makes more sense, although there's a concept in certainly in Jewish. The te- study of text, maybe others. I think it's the, I think the Latin is legio difficultare, something like um, if you have two different versions of a text, the one that makes least sense is more likely the original one because it's more likely that it was corrected to something that makes more sense. Someone's saying, "Oh no, he must have meant this," than the opposite that it w- that it originally made sense and someone corrected it to make it make less sense. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a theory that no one can prove, but that oftentimes you're looking at two different manuscripts in the Talmud or the Midrash or the Tanakh. The, the, the least reasonable one might be the original one. So it might have been Achar Mitatan, and someone said, no, he must have been Bim Mitatan, because they haven't died yet. Okay? So the Torah comes back and, and um, um, counts them after or upon their death. Why? Chibatan. What is chiba? To love, love for, like, um, okay. like chibatzion, um, um, the love of Zion, chovev, right? It's probably related, at least indirectly, to ahava, right? That hey and chet that Marshall were talking about. They're not exactly interchangeable, but but they're cousins, right? So, and they're cousins and sound. So if hav is love then chav might also be love or adoration, right? So this is all to teach us, really, the love of them, chibatan, love of them by whom? By God, okay? In what way? So these tribes, these sons of Israel, are should be thought of like the stars in the sky. Okay. That took them out and brought them in as um, in, in their number and in their name. Right. So let's 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 say not took but takes. That there's a midrash that imagines and it's based on verses and psalms and elsewhere. In fact, some of them is in it's in. Um, um, for those of you who are in this morning, in, in the in the second second psalm after Ashrei, Monemi Sparla Kochavim, God is counts all the numbers of the stars, Lechulam Shemot Yikra, 
and gives each one of them a name, right? And there are many places in, in, in the Psalms where God is described. So there's a, there's a Midrash that imagines, right? And, and, and think of the ancients not knowing science. How did the stars get there? I, by the way, sometimes think about that in the moments just before dusk or just before dark when I'm um, in our house, we end Shabbat not on the clock but on three stars, right? If it's, if it's, if it's a clear sky, it's a family event. We go outside we, and we wait till we count the stars, right? So I know that they're there even before they appear. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, but but it's, it's just all of a sudden they weren't there, now they're there. So you can imagine, like, the, you know, the ancients saying that, that God has placed them there. God brings them out Unsheathes, unsheathes them. It's not just a, a question of, of light and what is visible, but unsheathes the stars and then puts them back. And this midrash imagines that each night the stars are born and then die. God revivifies the stars by making them appear, bringing them out, and then putting them back in their sleeping place, right? As it were. So if that's an image of God, like uh, focusing on the stars when God motziam brings them out, and machnisam returns them, enters them into wherever they hide when they're not visible, the mispar according to the number uvishmotam and and gives them names according to certain verses. And Rashi quotes not a verse from Psalms that you could have, but rather a verse from Isaiah shen emar. Almost an, almost an exact yeah. version of the verse from Psalms, but if you translate it, how does it go? And who takes them out in numbers, in large quantities, um, and each one he shall call by a name. Right. So Isaiah has an image also of God of, of bringing out the stars, Tzva'am, the, their whole host, that array of stars in the sky, and gives each one of them a name, and then puts them to bed, tucks them in, right? So when we wake up in the morning, God is tucking the stars to sleep. So let's first let's see, make sure we understand the Rashi, and then we can share what he's saying on the verse. Uh, who has hand, hand up? Sue, and then Rick. Hello. Oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've changed your name. <laughs> I'm calling you by no, name. I'm putting I'm, you to sleep. I'm just trying to get this. This is all all to explain the Elish Shemot in Israel. This is all to say, we're not just talking about Ruben and Jimon and Levi and blah, blah, blah. We're talking about the whole galaxy. Mm. I don't get what we're talking about. Okay, so let me let me explain what we're talking about, and then we can assess it. So... Rashi is annoyed, interested in another redundancy, right? If if he if Rashi says if anyone were to survey anyone who's been reading closely the Book of Genesis, does anybody not know the names of the of the, of the tribes who come to Israel? Do we, do we not know who God is? Do we not know who Reuven is? Of course we know, right? So you and I will say, well, it's a good way to begin the book. It's a it's a review. God sa- Rashi says, or we learn something here that the way. The Midrash and Isaiah and Psalms imagine God having a relationship with the stars, naming them as they come out, and naming them as, you know, I put you, I put, you know, Polaris here, I put Ceres here, I put, you know, Ursa Major here, I naming them as he puts the stars to sleep in the morning, right? God, the Torah, gave each of these tribes names as in their lifetime as they were going into Egypt, and now as they are going to their rest, their story is over, they're about to die. Who's dying? Ruvain and God 
and Issachar and, and Jacob and, and right that, that that this is this is a loving if the author of all of this is the Holy One, this is not information that we need for data, but a way of saying God is putting the tribes to bed by name. That that that's what Rashi is saying. Now we can figure out do we do we, does that make sense to do we like it? But that that's the shot of the Rashi, Rick, and then Stevie. Rashi is also echoing the dream of Joseph when they were all described as stars. That very good. Mm, very nice, good. Nice, he could have nice. picked any sentence, but he Very yeah. good. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Wonderful. Very evocative. Stevie. It's also worth pointing out that the first Rashi on each book of Chumash is, in some way, God's doing this to show something in a loving way. Say more, because right, I, I so have at least one of them in mind, but I'm not sure of the other ones. Right. So, beginning by Yikra, is, right, Rashi says, right, he calls to Moses and before speaking to him. Because it's more lovingly. And at the beginning of Numbers, um, it's, it's, it's the census. And he says the census is because it's like a king who likes to count his jewelry or whatever. Mm. And right, the, the beginning of Devarim is that he's about to rebuke the people, but he's going to like, you know, use it by reference instead of explicitly telling them that they've sinned. And, and Breshi? Breshi is a, is a more complicated thing. <laughs> uh, but... but but he at least uses the language of saying that, like, you know, like he wanted them to, you know, have this land or right. something. You got to write that article, Stevie. That's great. Wow. I, I, An article I, I, on on I, I, what connects Rashi's first comments in each of the five books of the Torah. Yeah, that's awesome. And in, in at least one case, it's like he he actually does have a comment on the words of the verse, but his first comment is more on the like the idea and then. Fascinating. Thank you, Stevie. Comments or questions? Larry. The, 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 the second two footnotes, I don't understand even the references. Okay. Are they important or do you, you don't have to go over them? Which ones? Well, the, I can't even read in my text very well. The second one, he says, I can't. Hanav. What is that abbreviation of? Shemot Bet. Oh, Tanhuma. Ah, Tanhuma. Right. So the the tough nun tough nun chipchik bed is Tanhuma. I forgot what the bed is. Uh, I wonder if there are two versions of the Tanhuma. Oh, Tanhuma Buber. So um, there were the in in this book, which is a modern annotated version of Rashi's commentary, other commentaries. It's a very it's it's from Mosada Rav Cook, which is one of the great publishers of Jewish uh, um, books in from Jerusalem. It takes a scholarly, academic look at least the origin of all these commentaries, even though it's, they're understanding it from a firm perspective. So in the world of Jewish scholarship, there are several printings of Tanhuma, which is a midrash on the Torah. One of them is called Tanhuma Buber because it was edited by not Martin Buber, the philosopher, but I believe his father or grandfather, Shlomo Buber, and he did this in like the 1870s or something, and it's one of the ways you can study Tanhuma Buber, and in the two versions of Tanhuma, the actual chapters are different. So if you're making a citation, you have to cite which version of Tanhuma you're citing, because it will be it'll appear in a different place in the other Tanhuma. Okay. So I think that's what way, that's this editor saying you can find this in Tanhuma Buber, Shmot chapter two. And Was the there? third footnote. Uh, that long footnote, I have not read it, so let me... Uh... Oh, so um, 
the word uveshmotam, which is the last word before the Shinamar, Birashi, Uveramban. Ramban, not Rambam, Nachmanides, Rabbi um, Moshe Rabbi Nachman, who lived in Spain in the 13th century. 13th? 13th century. So about 100, no, maybe 14th century. 100 years or so after uh, Rambam. 1263? So 13th century. Um, who's also on our page. He quotes Rashi a lot, usually to tell us why he thinks Rashi is wrong. Sometimes his version of Rashi is different than ours. Because even then, 100, so, 150 years or so after Rashi, the versions of Rashi that people had in front of them were commenting on already had some divergence. So this editor saying, Barashi Shabaramban, in the version of Rashi, within Ramban's commentary in the verse, Leita Milazo, this word Uvishmotam does not exist. Um, and also, in, he quotes the Tanchuma, which suggests that, that Rashi might be, either Rashi might be taking license with the Tanchuma, or our version of Rashi is not accurate, or Ramban's version of Rashi is not accurate, something like that. But I'm not sure it impacts meaning. Let's go around Leonard, Steve, and Norm. Well, I'm noticing that we didn't see this in Bereshit, but the, for uh, Ibn Ezra, there's a long and a short version. Right. What's that about? Yeah. Um, Ibn Ezra's Spanish commentator focusing a lot on this, the uh, grammar and the specific way of understanding the verse. And yeah, there are, there are two versions of Ibn Ezra that are extant, one called long, one called short. What's interesting about it is that sometimes, wait for it, the short Ibn Ezra has a longer comment on a particular verse than the long Ibn Ezra. It's like being in Bulgaria where this means yes. It's unbelievable how, how confusing that is. You, you, you know, can I have a cup of coffee? And that means yes. It's just, it's so unnerving. Um, so it's also equally unnerving when the short Ibn Ezra is longer than the, sh- longer than the long Ibn Ezra. But that doesn't exist for Genesis? Right. I forgot. It could be. Do we only have we straight have up only in Ezra? Have, we definitely only have seen that. Then that's possible. Then, that, then I guess so. Yeah, I haven't. I've never, never. Fo- I haven't never focused on Ibn Ezra nearly as much as on Rashi, so I don't know it as well. Uh, Steve and the Norm, the one in the class. I, I'm just kind of. I'm curious. So, there in the it, when they talk about it here, these people are all alive, right? But then, right? But then we get to well, the, the Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, so. right? So now these people are, are dead as the story moves forward in this book. So, so that's why he's connecting them to their deaths. That's why he's talking about them as stars who are dead. Because in the, that particular passage, he's... Sort of, yes, right? So the next four verses that we'll get to in the next few weeks, give their names again. And then if you just jump ahead quickly to verse 6, mm-hmm. right? Which the next verse after just the names and numbers, Vayamot Yosef, V'chol Echav, V'chol Hador Hahu. Joseph and his brothers and that entire generation died. Now, where, where do we place the, 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 the data in that verse in the story? Have they already died before we actually are reading the verse we're reading now and, and, and this is just an introduction or are we actually having it be in real time? It, it could be that we should read this whole set of verses as a singularity. So, They've died, but before I tell you they've died, even though they have died, let's review what their names were. And Rashi says the review of the names is to show God's love for them, that we should remember them as we put them to eternal sleep. But they're about to, they're about to die. Because he doesn't just say, and his brothers all die. Right. 
because he named them. Correct. That's a, that shows his affection. Correct. And, and because he names them, and we don't know that, we don't need that info because we have it. Mm-hmm. Norm, last comment. I just think it's wonderful to think of God as checking on the stars, identifying each by name yes. every morning mm-hmm. because a thousand and more years ago, anybody who looked at the stars didn't see them each as being a rival, probably exceeding in size our sun. Yeah. They were just little things up there, yeah. very small. Yeah. Um, and if God paid that much attention to, them, attention to them and had distinct names for each of them, how much the more so can we count it that he knows each of us right. and knows us by name and relates to us individually? Right. That, that's the hope, the fan is of the theological um, possibility, right? And, and also this notion that, we, that, that dawn is the birth of the day and the, death of the, 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 the daily death of the stars. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.